Welcome inside the war room, Ron Ray here as always. Today we have on Sky Borgman. But first, if I could, if I could, if I could, ask you for a quick favor, and that's to drop a five-star review. That's all we're asking for right now. No sponsorships, not pushing anything else. Well, the newsletter always, but beyond that, that's all we're asking for as we keep bringing you guests on a daily basis. That's right. A lot of work comes in this podcast. We would appreciate a quick five-star review. Wherever you may be, we just got one in from Nigeria, so thank you uh, for that. Okay, that being said, we have on Skyborg, we're going to talk about the film, the documentary series, I guess we say, uh, Sins of Our Mother, and this is a story that you've probably heard if you followed this a few years ago, uh, the Lori Vallow um, her children went missing and now are dead. Uh, Sins of Our Mother, of course, is on Netflix. And here is my conversation with the director, Sky Borgman. Sky, welcome to the War Room. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Okay. So I think I saw the trailer for um, your film. Maybe actually, maybe it's pause here for a second because I'm I'm an imbecile. Do we call it documentaries films or the documentaries or both? Because I don't know what to call. Is it, what's the appropriate title here? Film. I mean, it's, it even gets more complicated than that um, because this is a what we call a limited series because there's three episodes. So uh, I'd say documentary limited documentaries. <laughs> Your docu series. Docu series. That's okay. fine. Okay. Docu-series, uh, yeah. I saw the docu-series being advertised. Maybe it was on YouTube or on Twitter. I saw it somewhere and I was like, huh, that, you know, that's an interesting title for sure. And let's watch the tra- trailer. Oh, okay. Oh, this is going to, this is going to be something. Um, and so um, obviously watched it. And so it, it's, it's, it's great to have you on, but, but what, what I got, it's got to ask, like, how did you find this story? Cause I, I say, after I watched it, um, there was one part where I vaguely remember part of the story we'll get to in a second, but how did you get in? Are you just searching for stories like this? Like what, what caught your attention about this one? I, I mean, this one, it's just such a crazy story. Uh, and that's what really caught my attention. I mean, I do, you know, I, this is kind of my world that I live in are these, these stories that are complicated and have crime and varying degrees of humanity and inhumanity in them, you know, and I really, I really do like this world. Um, but I had done a film a number of years ago in 2019 that launched on Netflix called uh, Abducted in Plain Sight. And that story happened in Pocatello, Idaho. It's, it's kind of a roundabout way, but uh, it happened in Pocatello, Idaho. And I talked to a journalist there by the name of Nate Eaton because it, that film had sort of hit in the community pretty well. And Nate, is local to this story with Sins of Our Mother and uh, started tweeting about it and was the first on the scene to really be reporting on it. And I follow him on Twitter. And so it was really through him that I learned the first inklings of the story, which was, you know, there are these two kids who are missing and uh, the mom's not saying anything and kept following the story. And, you know, like, like a lot of the United States and especially the Western United States that was following this story, it just kept getting sort of more bizarre and more bizarre and more bizarre. And um, and I was really just interested in how the family was affected, who Lori Vallow was, how did she get to this point? Um, and, and really, you know, there was a lot of sort of this tabloid-esque kind of coverage of it. 
and and I wanted to find out who who this woman was and 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 who her family was. So that's really what what started it. The thing about true crime, and I, I'm just I'm, um, I'm curious your thoughts on. So first off, true crime is a apolitical type thing, right? So Republicans, Democrats, everyone in between, there's some kind of weird true crime story um, that impacts all of society. Um, and it seems that best I can tell that from a society societal standpoint, um, right, left, whatever, it, it's it's apolitical. People like it. People stories about it. The the, the thing I I don't understand. The thing I'm, I'm torn over, and I'm curious from your perspective is. How do you do true crime well where you're, because I find stories like this fascinating and I, and I catch myself going, okay, should I be intrigued? I mean, obviously I'm appalled by what happens, but should I be intrigued to know this story? Like how, so how do you as a filmmaker um, think about those issues to where you're not sensationalizing the, the terrible, um, but you are making something that's representative of what happens and it's gotta be entertaining. How do you balance those things? Yeah, I think it's really about, perspective and I always try to find a perspective like I'm not I'm not particularly interested in just telling a story like this event happened and this event and this event and this event and this event. Um, I'm really interested in finding and exploring stories that may have the opportunity to touch somebody or to speak to somebody or to have them learn something that maybe they didn't know or or just not feel alone in the world. And so I think those are the stories that interest me. Now, whether or not, and, and those stories oftentimes have crime involved in them. And I think crime for me is a place where you really see all sides of the human conundrum. Um, you see the best in people, you see the worst in people, and you see kind of everything in between. And, and it's also a, a great space to sort of point up what, what is great about humanity and what is, what is not so great about humanity. And, in a way, hold a mirror up to ourselves. And so I think that to me is what makes, what helps to elevate some of these, these stories is where that's a rich tapestry of human emotion. And it's not just a story about the horrible exploits of serial killer acts. Mm -hmm. um, that, that there's humanity there, that there's emotion there um, and that there's something to take away from. Yeah, and so in this one particularly, um, you you have the intersection of of religion, Mormonism, uh, and then obviously um, the, the, the children. Um, how do you go about um, weighing which elements of the morality of the people involved um, are relevant to their actions throughout this? Because that would seem to be a, a, a tough question at times. I mean, I guess if you have someone who's a over over the top, you know, just I want you know, cold, so cold killer, maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit easier. But in this case, it seemed to be kind of murky to understand how they were connecting the dots. So, how do you go about trying to portray that? It's really talking to a lot of different people, um, doing a lot of research, uh, and it's not look, it's not always obvious, and it's not always really clear um, how to how to connect those dots and which story points to talk about and which story points not to. I mean, I think. You know, when you get in the realm of making documentaries, there's there's always a thesis. I mean, this story, especially with Sins of Our Mother, but with any story really, you know, they can go in many different directions. It can be told from many, many, many different lenses. And with this one in particular, I, I did want to look at the ripple effects and how family members 
that were still living were affected by Lori Vallow's actions and by you know the horrible tragic death of her two kids and and to to look at how her only remaining son Colby was affected to look at how her family her mother her father was affected her friends and to kind of bring those perspectives into the story a little bit more so I mean that was the story that I set out to tell and so when you go out and you do the interviews or when I go out and do the interviews and we come back and we're editing it together. It's really sort of those feelings and those narratives that are guiding the way in how we put a story together. Um, it would have been completely different if, if I, you know, had wanted, I don't know. Well, okay. Let's say I wanted to do a story more about Chad Abel's family, right? It would have been a completely different, a completely different sort of set of rules that sort of guide me in how to put that story together. Or if I wanted to look at, you know, the justice and, and is Lori guilty or innocent, which wasn't really part of my mm-hmm. approach to the storytelling, you know, I mean, she's she's gonna have a trial in January probably, unless it gets pushed. And so it wasn't really about guilt or innocence. It was really about how this, the ripple effects and how this family is affected. Okay, well, so thank you for that. That gets helpful. It's always helpful when you're looking, this is history, right? So you're looking at history to understand the person who is telling the story, what they are trying to accomplish, because as you mentioned, there's multiple layers um, that you could you could thread. Just uh, I mean, just I can't imagine just thinking about this. But so 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 thank you for that. So let's get into the story. You mentioned what I guess is the central character, uh, Lori Vallow. Um, maybe at a high level, hit the beginning, middle, end, and then we'll kind of walk through um, this weird series of events. Yeah, so uh, Lori Vallow is a, a woman who was a mom. You know, she still is a mom. She's a mother. She has uh, three children, and she was a good mom. So her her son Colby talks about her as a good mom. Her family talks about her as a good mom, and that was kind of how she defined herself, and as a very devoted Mormon. And I think there were a lot of series of events along the way where she really questioned her faith and questioned why bad things happen to good people, you know, and I think that's something we all do it at, at one stage in our life or at many stages in our life. And, um, and I think those certain events that happened to her along the way sort of drove her into becoming more spiritual or just searching for more in her, in her spiritual sort of endeavors and eventually leads her to, to go beyond what, what sort of classic LDS beliefs are and she becomes really involved in these fringe beliefs in these these extreme beliefs and that that then leads her to what we believe uh was the murder of her daughter and her son and and so she has three kids total correct yes and two of them uh, are allegedly um she's somewhat responsible for their death yeah, they, they, they're definitely dead. Um, and she is awaiting trial to determine um, what the trials find to be her her level of involvement in that. She's charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder. So you mentioned Mormonism. Um, so obviously Utah is, um, I guess, the, the highest per capita of Mormons by far, if I had to guess. I can't imagine anywhere else being uh, in the U.S. at least. Um, or were you familiar with Mormonism? Did you have to spend a lot of time understanding that? Because you said you mentioned... That, that she was kind of on the fringe of Mormonism. So how did you go about um, determining 
where her beliefs uh, were aligned within the spectrum of Mormonism, Mormon beliefs? Well, a film I had done before, Abducted in Plain Sight, that dealt with a, a family and they were of the Mormon faith too, or LDS. Um, and so I'd done a lot of research into faith then. Um, and then we talked to quite a few people um, in terms of what, what sort of classic LDS doctrine is and then, and then where Lori's beliefs started sort of straying from that LDS doctrine. Um, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty closed um, belief system, you know, and and they're very protective of their belief system. Um, and so to get to sort of the nitty gritty is sometimes challenging. But but we certainly came to understand that there are things that absolutely do not exist in the LDS beliefs, which are light and dark spirits. And Lori and Chad sort of had these lists where they were sort of ranking people whether they were like one, two, three, four, five, light and dark. Mm. Um, and then once you got beyond a certain point, like beyond a 2.5 dark, then there was no coming back and 2.5 light that you were just amazing, right? And that they were gathering people to go forth into this new Jerusalem and, and getting rid of people. So it seems, or at least starting to, the actions of getting rid of people that were not part of that 144,000. So they were trying to surround themselves with this army of, of warriors who would be able to, to take them into the new Jerusalem. And, um, and so there are certain, there are certain beliefs, you know, like this, this, you know, heaven or new Jerusalem or apocalypse, like those are things that are pretty common in LDS and Catholicism, you know, and those ideas are there, but it was just with Lori and, and with Chad too, this, extremism that started to come in and this this idea that they were that chad was a self-professed prophet and that he and Lori would go into this next world as king and queen and i think that was something that was very appealing to Lori that that she would be the leader the queen in, in this in this next world so you know it's this it's some things that are that are written in bibles that are written in in religious texts across the globe and then it's taking that and it's just expanding upon them and kind of creating creating a new religion or creating a new form of thought based on based on how they were both raised okay so you mentioned chad there let's maybe pause right so Lori's married to to keep the names at a minimum Lori is i married, know not not to chad um she comes she across is. she is married to chad no no no, no what she finds you i'm saying Oh, well, yeah. I mean, so Chad is her fifth husband. Um, and I think that she, she meets Chad while she's still married to her prior husband, um, who ends up dead, um, shot by her brother. Um, it was at the time thought that it was self-defense and, um, her brother ends up mysteriously dying, uh, shortly thereafter. And then she is together with Chad unobstructed because his wife has also mysteriously passed away i mean it's a complicated story <laughs> yeah yeah so so she, i didn't know she's married five times if that was in the, yeah. I, mean, I missed that okay so so she's married to she's married she comes across chad during the marriage and my, my question is yes. before her husband that was murdered um or allegedly murdered or whatever this listen this podcast God. is for this we'll, we'll say this 
this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and none of this is factual so so there it's all we can say whatever <laughs> that's how it works right um okay so her husband ends up dead um and her brother uh, as you mentioned shot her when you see someone like chad um who's a self-proclaimed prophet and has all the stuff usually it's not surprising to find out there are multiple women like Lori or multiple men that are interested in what, so was Lori kind of special that something that Chad found about her? Like, why was she the one that he chose or was there other women that he was, uh, you know, cheating on or, or potentially cheating on his wife with? I think there were other women. I mean, I've heard, I, I can't, you know, I can't definitively say, and I have no proof necessarily that there are other women, but I know that I did talk to, other women who said that he had sort of made the same promises to them, that he had flirted with them and, and come on to them and that, that he wanted them to be his queen. And they said no. And, and Lori said yes. So she's, I'm just trying to understand her psychology here, where she's at. So it's her fifth husband. Um, do we know what happened those previous four marriages? Were they, I mean, that, that's, that's, I mean, she was, yeah, I mean, it, it is, I, I think, you know, in order to understand the psychology of Lori, and look, I am not a psychologist, um, I make documentary films, you know, so I, I have access to people, and I talk to them, but again, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not the one to sure. answer necessarily who is Lori Vallow, but I certainly, you know, looking at her first marriage, she was, she was very young and, um, and it didn't last very long. Her second marriage again, lasted a few years. And, um, and she had Colby in her second marriage. Her third marriage was to Joe Ryan. That's when she had Tylee and Colby took his name. Uh, her fourth marriage was to Charles Fallow. And that one seemed to be a marriage that really was healthy at, at, at times, you know, they were married for 13 years and Colby talks about that marriage as being a pretty good one. I mean, they would fight, but, but it was good and that they had a good relationship. But I think throughout all of this, um, a lot of her husbands, I knew Charles did, he converted to LDS. And I think she was always looking for that spiritual equal or spiritual master, maybe, you know, that, that she wanted a man in her life that was at least as knowledgeable about LDS as she was, or maybe even more so. And so I think when, when Chad Daybell sort of came into her life, she saw that in him and, and he saw in her uh, a woman that, that had very strong beliefs and that he could potentially have a life with, but they, I think sparks flew pretty early for the two of them. Okay. And your read of Chad is, is he a true believer or is he a charlatan? I think he's a true believer. Mm, wow. That's even worse. It's even more scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So her, in the, in the documentary, you mentioned, you know, um, her fourth husband is, is shot by her brother. Um, watching that story, I was, I was interested in, kind of how that unfolded because obviously I'm going to be a little bit more suspicious because of the name of the, uh, of the documentary, right? So I have reason to believe that something nefarious is going on, but I was caught off guard by how the police department kind of handled the investigation as, as someone who studies true crime. Is, is this normal where something like this can happen and someone gets off? Because it seems like um, if you follow the news at a, at a light level, like I do, 
you'll hear stories where it seems like there's clear-cut um, self-defense, and those sometimes even go to a grand jury. This seemed to be kind of dismissed uh, pretty lightly. Is it, is it local laws? What, what's going on with that? It's, it's hard to tell, really. I mean, I think, I think it's easy to say that, uh, that they dropped the ball. Um, I think it's also easy to say, you know, that, that Alex Cox, Lori's brother, had a permit. He was carrying the gun legally. There was nothing illegal about it. Um, this happened in Arizona. They're more open with their gun laws in Arizona than they are in some other states. Um, maybe not as open as, as all states. Uh, but that, and then they had Lori saying, you know, sort of giving, giving credence to the fact that she felt it was self-defense too. And, and so there's Kylie talking about it. There's Lori talking about it. And there's Alex Cox all saying it was self-defense. And so look, I, I, hindsight is 2020. We know this, right? That we can look back and we go, man, it could have all stopped there, or it could have stopped before that, you know, when Charles was talking about how going to cops and saying Lori's crazy and she's threatening to hurt me and she's threatening to hurt the kids and nothing happened there. And then Charles dies and nothing happens. So I think, you know, we can easily sort of look back and go, man, if somebody had done something, then this could have all been stopped. And I think part of that is true, but the other part of it is it didn't happen. There were, there were some missteps. There were people who, who were screaming at the top of their lungs that something should be done and, and cops didn't do something. There were others who, you know, looked at this domestic couple, this husband and wife who were both saying terrible things about the other person and domestic situations are challenging. And I don't think that, you know, most of the domestic situations that happen in the world have a story that led to Lori Vallow's story. You know, there is a lot of death associated with, with, with domestic violence and there's a lot of harm associated with domestic violence. But there's also a lot of, I think, sort of fear from a, a law enforcement perspective or an, not wanting to get involved in domestic violence situations because they can escalate quickly. So I, look, I think that there were a lot of mistakes that were made. Um, but again, looking back at it, it's easy to say that. I, yeah. wish, I wish there had been a little bit more investigation into Charles, when he was going to the cops saying that he was worried that the kids were in danger, that he was in danger, I wish there'd been more investigation into the shooting of Alex to Charles Vallow, um, that they could have gotten more from him before, before he ends up passing away a little while later. Yeah, I am with you, um, obviously not knowing as much of the facts of the case as you do, of course, but, but from what I, what I could, what I saw in the film, at least, um, it's quite, it's really hard to, um, the domestic dispute stuff. He's mm. crazy. She's crazy. Like, so I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that's gotta be hard to decipher. Uh, divorces can be very contentious. So, so with that, I, 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 yeah, that's, those are seem to be hard. Um, and there was, at least from what I could tell, there was no, um, no one, there was like no, no bruising, no marks. No one was being beat up from what I could tell. So it's not like there was any real evidence other than heated words. And that makes it even tougher to determine you know, who's crazy and who's what. So, but the, the murder investigation, I guess, was the thing I was looking at going, God, it, this, this, I know. it is, man, it's just, it's just hard to imagine that. But Lori seemed to have this charm about her. And that's why, that's why I was curious. Is that, is, you know, do you find this when you're doing various true crime documentaries that people with charm can maybe manipulate the justice system better? Oh, you see it all the time. I mean, absolutely. They, I mean, they, they, 
people with charm know how to affect people, manipulate people, get people to do what they want to do. And so, I mean, I think you see it all the time in, in, you know, you look at some of the most notorious serial killers in the world, you see that, you know, you look at Ted Bundy, you see that. Um, I think it's absolutely true with Lori. Um, and I, and I think, look, it, it is unusual that it's a woman, right? I mean, most of these it's, pathologic it's- liars and manipulators tend to be men. Um, Lori had what men don't have. She has, you know, she has her, her beauty and she has her charm and she's got a way of disarming that is a very feminine weapon. And so I think it's something that, that, that maybe the cops weren't, and it's, it's, look, that's not where, it's not where typically you're looking in domestic violence situations. Um, you're typically looking at the woman who's being abused by the man, you know, and look, our statistics prove it. That's typically how it goes. Does it happen the other way? Yeah, absolutely it does. But for the most part, I think as law enforcement, you're going to side more with the woman than you are with the man because that's how the how most of the cases play out. Yeah. No, yep, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's hard to argue with the with the numbers on it. So yeah. let's again with trying to keep the the names to a minimum because it, it's just it gets yeah, go folks watch a documentary and you'll, you'll see what you're saying. Like, there's just there's just characters that are coming in. You're like, wait, wait, who, what, how? Um, um, but obviously, Lori has a mom. Uh, yeah. Um, and watching their journey through this was was tough, to be honest with you. Um, because even to almost the end, they're defending Lori. And you're, you know, again, obviously hindsight's 2020, but you know, I mean, I have four kids, none of them are old enough to have kids of their own yet. But I mean, if they were, if their kids were missing and they were gone, you know, basically out of the country, they're in Hawaii, but you know, for all intents and purposes, they're gone a long way away and they're not divulging where any of the kids are at. I, I would have a hard time giving the benefit of the doubt. What was it like following that arc of the mother daughter relationship? It's hard for me to, I mean, I, I understand loving people to the extreme where, I mean, there are certainly people in my life where you could say they did this and, and I would have a hard time believing it. Um, but I think when there's so much that we found out about Lori and that her mom was finding out, it's, it's denial to me. It's the, and I look, I get it too. I get the denial. I get not being able to understand what your daughter may have done. Um, and I get, especially before the kids remains were found before Tylee and JJ's remains were found that there is room to have hope that they're going to be found. Um, I have a real hard time understanding why Lori wouldn't, if I was Lori's mom, why would she not say anything, right? Um, I mean, I struggle, I struggle with her mother as well. I mean, there's part of me that really tries to go, I get it, she's her daughter and she wants to believe in her, but I mean, like it's her grandkids too. And so I just, I don't know, I, it's hard to understand. Lori's mom. It's really hard to understand her. And even still to this day, 
I think she still has some hope that maybe Lori didn't actually lay hands on those children, that she was possibly aware of it, but not, not the one to do the act. Um, I don't know, we'll see. I guess we'll see what the, what the courts of law decide next year. Mm. That's interesting because my, maybe, maybe I, again, maybe I've been a few weeks since I watched it, maybe I missed this. My read was that Chad sent the message to Lori saying that the, that the raccoon or whatever had been shot off the fence. I took it to mean that he was the one who is being alleged to actually pull the trigger. Is that not the case? We don't know. Look, we don't know. We, because he, he may have pulled the trigger um, at that time, but I mean, the two kids that they died at different times. Oh, okay. Yeah, at least yeah. we think that they were pretty sure they died at different times. And so, okay. you know, I think, yeah. yeah, I think it definitely, I think the raccoon text was the cover up, you know, that the fire in the back was the cover up. The, the kids' remains were, um, were buried in, in dramatically different ways. Um, and so, so it could have been two people. Oh, okay. I got you. you. Know, we don't, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's the boy, they, I remember now that the boy, they thought maybe he was potentially dead when he's at the apartment that one night because they yeah. alleged that. Okay. Okay. So I, I see what you're saying now. So that's yeah. why she's, so yeah, that, that, that would never make sense that they were potentially killed and then, and then the body moved. Or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gotta be, gotta be just, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just can't imagine. So, I know. <laughs> Yeah, so the mom's holding out hope. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure from my perspective how much difference that'd make if you're, you're complicit in it or if you pull the trigger. I guess there's more brutality to the to the latter, but still, just allowing someone else to do it to your kids is. I agree. I agree. Or even getting to the point of believing that this was something that should be done. I mean, there's I I completely agree. There's not to me. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to it's hard to actually put ourselves into that situation. We can imagine ourselves in that situation and, and kind of go, maybe it would make a difference. Maybe it wouldn't make a difference if she actually had a hand in their deaths or if she just knew about it and sort of condoned it. I don't think it would make much difference, but I'm, I'm not Lori Vallow either. So, and I'm not, and I'm not her mom. So I don't know. I don't know. And what is Colby's the oldest son, right? Yeah. Yeah. What does he think? In terms of if she did it, if she, he's, I mean, I don't think it makes much difference to him really. Um, Whether, I mean, I I don't want that to sound the way that it just sounded. Yeah. Yeah. Like if she had a hand in it or if she actually did it, she's still, it's still as bad to to Colby. Um, He's saying what we were just articulating. He's saying exactly what we were just saying. Yeah. That it doesn't, that it doesn't make her worse if she pulled the trigger, you know, if she's just as bad in his mind. Um, I mean, look, Colby had hope too, before, before Tylee and JJ's remains were found, he had hope that they were being hidden somewhere or that they were somewhere else. And then when the remains were found, it's just like, you know, that all that hope was just destroyed. And, and it was really at that point that he had to really grapple with his feelings towards Lori. And in that, you know, it takes, it takes time to even know, I think what's real and what's not real. And, and it, the more he was sort of sat with it, the more he he dealt with his grief and, and his pain. And to the extent that he has dealt with his grief and his pain, he hasn't, he knows now that, that she, 
will spend the rest of her life in prison. And he, he thinks that's the right place for her to be. Yeah, as you said, that made me think, I, I guess, thinking about it, um, if you had someone as crazy as Lori, perhaps you might believe that she is so crazy just to hide the kids and not do it. So maybe, maybe as you said that, I thought, well, I guess, yeah, she's so crazy that it is rational to believe that she is hiding the kids because that's kind of crazy. I'm thinking of someone who, you know, of a normal person, if a normal person said their kids were being hid, you, you could be found. You'd be like, okay, you've, you've done something with them, but, but with, yes, yeah, so with her, I mean, geez. Well, and there was, I mean, that the, it was really interesting because when I, when I first, you know, learned about it, there were all these, I, I don't know, theories going around that they were hidden in a bunker somewhere. I'm like, who, what a bunker? Like what, how, how does that seem reasonable to anyone? Yeah. But you're totally right. I mean, it's like, as soon as somebody, you know, as soon as you put them on that level of uh, that level of crazy, I mean, you said crazy and look, that's a whole nother thing to talk about too. Right. Is like, is there mental illness here? Like to me, there has to be, there has to be some mental illness here. Um, but at what point and was it growing and did they do anything? And, you know, clearly, I mean, court was postponed or her, her trial was postponed at one point because she was deemed incompetent and she had to go into an institution for a while. And then I think it was like two and a half months or maybe three months and then came out and she was determined to be competent. And so now then the trial dates have been reset, but there's clearly, clearly something happening where, where reality, Lori's reality is very different than our reality. How do you just put Lori aside how as someone just follows true crime, how do you think as a society we should grapple with that issue of people who are truly out there and they're doing terrible things? I it's a it's a tough question because I don't know that it's as easy. I don't think it's easy to say this is how we should deal with people doing terrible things because I think there's a lot of a lot of background um, that for each individual person that leads them to this point in their life where they do this terrible thing, whatever that terrible thing is. And I think sometimes that background can give us answers in terms of like how they got there. Um, I think sometimes the background can potentially, I don't know if it's necessarily forgive the crime, but I mean, it gives you a, a reason why this crime happened. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but I don't know. Like, that's why I think that there's, everything's broken at a pretty, at a pretty basic level in terms of we have to have like with trials, we have to have a set of rules, right? Because that's the only way a trial can happen. Like you have to prove um, guilt or innocence. You have to prove that somebody is guilty. And we say that somebody is innocent until proven guilty. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think people bring a lot of things into to their own understanding of somebody's guilt or innocence. But I think that, that we have to look at each individual and determine how they are to be judged by the court of law. And I don't think that that's a possible thing to do because we have to have some sort of rules surrounding that. Yeah. I mean, we could spend another three hours on this. I mean, I, I would just simply <laughs> say, maybe I'll do a future pot. I have a I actually have on um, a gentleman by the name of Austin Surratt. Surratt, I'm not, I don't I hope, I hope I get that wrong. He wrote a book on um, lethal injection and, and the problems with it. And so he's coming on. Mm. Um, yeah, it was interesting to read just kind of some of the problems around that. I don't, 
again, not a true crime buff. So I, I'm just curious about things. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Anyways, um, I would just submit this to your point about rules. Um, my biggest complaint with the justice system in general is that it's so, 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 so slanted in favor of the prosecution. Oh. If you do presume innocence, they have the bigger budget. Well, the judge is getting the judge and the prosecutor are getting paid by the same people, right? The taxpayer. Yeah. And so, you know, they, it, of course, a public defender would be too, but they're the resources they have. So, yeah, I think that that's just a, a baseline societal thing that we should deal with. Um, and these more complex things about mental illness and, you know, how we pack that. That's we're, we're not, we're not even prepared for that because we can't get the, the fundamentals right, it would seem. So, um, I know it's like we're, we're trying to approach the problem from the wrong end and, and I don't know that there can be any real solutions, um, you know, if we're coming at it from the wrong direction. Mm, yeah. Okay. So at the end of the day, for this story, we have a mother with three kids, two of whom were dead. Um, and is she still married to Chad? They, they, yeah. They, okay. And what, what's his current status? They're both in jail. But he, he went to trial and was convicted already, right? No, 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 no. Neither one of them have been yet. Well, what was his... Um, what he's, was had hearings, he's had some hearings, um, and she's had hearings, but, but the trial... As of now, they have a joint trial set, so they will be tried together. There have been some instances sort of leading up to this where they have tried to sever. They were separate trials, then they joined them. They've tried to sever them, but they've, to save the, the state, you know, money and doing two trials where essentially the same evidence is going to be put forward and doing jury selection and all of that. Um, so currently at this moment in time, they will be tried in a joint trial. Mm. See, that would be a point of contention for me. Unless you can, and I don't, I'll say this, I'm not going to say it, I have to think to it, but at face value, unless you could prove that they were, depending on what the state's going for, right? But if you're saying that, you know, a Chad or, or Lori, whoever shot the gun, unless you can prove they're both there at the same time when the gun was shot and they both took part in, I'm not sure I'd be in, in favor of a joint trial because that seems to, again, uh, slant it the prosecution way. And I, I'm not, I mean, I have no reason to believe these people aren't guilty, but just from a standpoint of fairness, I'm not sure I'm a, I'm a big fan of the joint trial. Do you have any thoughts on joint trials and how it shapes stuff? I think, I mean, I think it absolutely shapes exactly like what you're talking about. Um, but at the same time, I can also see the other side where I'm like, if you're going to go to trial for three weeks, you know, again, it's taxpayers paying for a trial for Chad and a trial for Lori where the same evidence is being put forward or mostly the same evidence is being put forward. So, you know, it's another one of those situations where I'm like, how do you, how do you do something that's not one or not the other um, that would fit this circumstance just a little bit better? Um, I don't know. Like, I think that there are problems with it, but I also think they were very much in this together. Uh, but you're right. I mean, did he pull the trigger? If it was a gun, look, we don't even know that. We don't know how, how the kids were killed. So it will come up in the trial. And I, and look, prosecution and defense knows a lot more currently than I do than anybody does really so so maybe they feel that a joint trial is the best way to move forward but so what, that, that so with the the trials are coming up uh, I guess it was hearings that I was watching in the, in the yeah document. probably okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah there's a lot there's, there's some court testimony I was thinking that was trial testimony yeah um what um why did the documentary now why not wait until after this is resolved because it's not about 
me, it was never really about Lori's guilt or innocence or, or Chad's guilt or innocence. It was really about the ripple effects on the family. And, um, and that's what the, what I wanted to explore with this and, and how this rush of information that sort of came out or that dribbled out, you know, I mean, it came out at at various different paces throughout the the course of the last couple of years, um, how it impacted Colby and how it impacted Lori's family. And if I'd been telling, you know, a different story about this case, if it was about the guilt or innocence, then, then absolutely we would have wanted to wait till the trial. But, um, but that wasn't what the, what the thrust of the story was. Okay. So what's next for you? Any projects you're currently working on one? Um, anything you can give us an insight on? Nothing, nothing sort of, uh, that I can really, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of looking for projects now, you know, I'm constantly, constantly reading and researching and, and looking at, at different stories and interesting stories. So, um, nothing, nothing in the, in the very short future, but I've got, I've got a lot of things in the hopper. Okay. Well, we'll be following along. Uh, we'll link to your website, um, social media, obviously the documentary, I watched it on Netflix. Is it anywhere else other than Netflix? No, it's just Netflix. Okay. So folks know where to find Netflix at. Um, so go, yeah. go watch it on Netflix. And I will just say this, um, if you haven't seen it, my advice would be to watch it. And I should, I should have taken one advice here. I watched it one time through, but you really need to probably watch it twice because there is so many characters in this story that it's, it's when you get in there, you're like, oh, wait, oh yeah, that's, that's, the, it's, it, what's the, is it sunny in Philadelphia where the guy's got the, the big wall and all the lines are going and he's like smoking a cigarette and he's like trying to figure out the conspiracy. Like yeah. you get in there like, oh my gosh, like this, it, it, it's, there's, it feels like a lot of people, but it's really a tight knit group of people. So it's kind of a weird <laughs> paradoxical thing. Like there's not many that, is that that many characters but in the context of this story, trying to follow the arc, there is a lot of characters. So, um, well, and there are a lot of characters. I mean, unfortunately, they're named the same thing or, mm. or they're named similar things. There are a couple of different Melanies in there. Um, there are a lot that look very similar. So it is, you know, you have to pay attention and, and see it. It's funny because this was the first film where I did that, you know, put stuff all up on my walls and timelines and pictures and, and the timeline, especially because keeping that straight is. Uh is challenging. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> so, okay. Well, thank you so much for this. I enjoyed the film or the, whatever we call it, the docu-mini, docu-series, whatever we said at the beginning Doc- of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. I thought it was, uh, it was fascinating. As, as, as I said, as I got into it, I remember, I remember hearing about them going to Hawaii or being in Hawaii at least and the kids yeah. were just going to Idaho. So that's kind of like, oh yeah, I, I vaguely remember the story, but I had no idea of, of just what was going on there and it was un it's unbelievable it, it's well done and it does it in a way that again it's not um I, i'm not a fan I, there's a book um on kaczynski um the ice man it and you, if you read it at some point it's like okay are we are we i'm not being critical of the author i'm just saying that at some point it's like i don't know what we're like it's just like him killing a bunch of people it's like rambo like i'm not sure like uh like, you know the Glover, you know like i'm not sure not sure that's kind of true crime that that's necessarily helpful. I'm not saying it's hurtful. I'm, I'm not sure. I've got mixed emotions on this. I think this was this was done really well. So I uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Well, look forward to your work in the future and hope to have you on again after your next one. Awesome. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much. Okay, that is it. My conversation with Sky Borkman. 
director of Sins of Our Mother. Again, conversation if you want to get me. We've moved everything to Substack here recently. Warroommedia.com is where you can find that. We'll link to it in the show notes, so all you have to do is click on it and drop me a note what you thought of this episode, particularly about this case, which is tragic and bizarre all at the same time. And we'll talk to you real soon.